This is the Sauce Town Stories podcast. I am your host, Matt Cox. Uh, we do our first political episode today. Uh, the Salem mayor uh, election coming up coming up in May, and we have candidate Shane Griggs on. I just got done talking to her. Um, outstanding interview. We cover a lot of the, almost all of the kind of main pillars of her campaign platform um, and what her plans are uh, to address some of the issues in the city of Salem. Um, So we will get to that amazing interview. Uh, But before that, a word, of course, from Ash Creek Farms. It's the springtime, and that means it's hazelnut season. Well, actually, it's always hazelnut season, but only if you are going to Ash Creek Farms, the best hazelnuts in the game. Uh, They got dark chocolate, milk chocolate, my personal favorite, and the traditional roasted. So please, Sauce Town Stories listeners, support a local Sauce Town business and go to ashcreekoregon.com and order your hazelnuts today. And after that quick word from our sponsor, Ash Creek, Oregon, uh, I'm joined by a guest today. Um, She is a woman who has served in all different types of capacities to the Salem community, which we will get into. Um, She's an absolute pillar of this community. And uh, most recently, she is a candidate for mayor of Salem slash sauce town. I am joined by Chane Griggs. Chane, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Matt. It's good to hear from you. Absolutely great to have you here. And where are you joining us from today? A parking lot. I'm in between two, two campaign meetings, so, um, but I've got good Wi-Fi coverage. Love it. Well, we are um, honored that you made time for us because I know that you are uh, extremely busy uh, with your campaign. So thanks again for, uh, for doing this for us. You bet. So to kind of get us started off here, um, I know you have, you actually moved to Salem in 1977, which for us Oregonians is a very important year because the Blazers won the title that year. (laughs) Um, But before that, tell us a little bit, you know, pre-77, tell us a little Mm -hmm. bit about where you're from uh, and your your upbringing. Sure. Um, I grew up mostly in North Carolina. Um, Raleigh, Smithfield. Uh, My father was an Episcopal minister. They call him priest out here, but Episcopal minister. So we moved a a few times, but primarily in the South. Um, And then when I graduated from high school, I decided I wanted to go uh, north to college instead of Carolina, which is where everybody in my family went. And they almost won the championship last night. So I ended up going up to Kenyon College in Gambier and then moved on to a larger school, Miami of Ohio, uh, to graduate with my degree in political science. And then following that, I moved out to Salem and the rest is history, as they say. And what did initially bring you to Salem? Um, The father of my children came out here for law school at Willamette. So we both graduated from Miami and um, both sought to to move out to the great west, and it's a decision that I've never regretted. Yeah, I've been here um, a long time now. It's funny how circumstances bring you to a place, and now mm-hmm. you've been here uh, for for most of your life. Right. Um, I certainly want to get into the specifics of your um, your mayoral campaign, but first mm-hmm. off, I just I mean, being in Salem as long as you have, and not having uh, been born in Salem. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you, you talk about how special it is to you, how great of a place it is. You have some mm-hmm. uh, kids and grandkids here, and you you mm-hmm. mentioned that you love to show it off um, yes. to others. Others when they come visit. Mm-hmm. I mean, at a, at a high level, what makes Salem such a special place to you? It is. It's it's evolved for me because when 1977, there were some amenities that we have now that we didn't have then. Um, primarily, we are just located in the perfect spot of the Willamette Valley. We are in the heart of the wine country. We are, you know, an hour at the most to the beach and an hour to hit the ski slopes. And if you choose to be brave and go up to Portland, it's only about 45 minutes. So it's just a great location now. Um, I, but I appreciated it even when I moved here because of the weather. I mean, it's just a great area to run in. You can be outside all year round and not have to fight the humidity and the mosquitoes. And so I fell in love with it right when I moved here, but it's definitely gotten better over the past 40 years. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. The uh, Pacific Northwest and Salem gets a lot of grief about the weather, but I uh, I love it. I mean, I'm, mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but I'm an advocate of seasons. I don't want it to be sunny and hot 365 days a year. Exactly, exactly. We have wonderful weather. You just have to endure a little bit of rain in January and February. But, you know, that's it's worth it. Yep, it's a trade-off. Yeah. All right. <laughs> So as as I mentioned in your intro, I mean you've served in so many different capacities. Mm-hmm. To name, I know I'm gonna I know I'm gonna miss one or two, but just to name a few: assistant director, uh, the Department of Corrections, Oregon Community Foundation director. You've been on the board at Deepwood Estates, uh, the mm-hmm. Salem Art Board, Parks mm-hmm. and Rec Board, Historic Landmarks Commission, Budget Committee, Climate Task Force, and currently <laughs> Salem Planning Commission. And I believe, and you're also the president. Of the rotary so you've done it all right I, sh- I shouldn't say you've done it all but your your next step um is to to try to run for mayor was this just like the logical next step for you did you have this planned out or how did no. it what, what made you run i really didn't have it planned out um i think it was finally i decided to go ahead and pursue the role after enough various community members not from any one segment but several more than several people came up to me and said Chen we really need you to run for this position because you're going to find the middle of the conversation uh rather than being so polarized that uh we just don't move forward in a sustainable manner so um I'm currently president of planning commission so I think people have seen me lead some issues that could be pretty contentious with development and anti-development folks and getting to uh, decisions that are in the middle of the road where nobody's thrilled with the total outcome, but we can all agree that this is the best position for the city. So I, I finally decided, you know, I am retired um, and I, I do have that uh, ability, the freedom of time to be able to do that. And, you know, I was raised in a family, you know, John Kennedy, President Kennedy was probably my parents' idol. And from the get-go, even when I was in high school, I would volunteer. And as soon as I moved to Salem, I started volunteering and giving back just because that's the right thing to do to your community, for your community. And you mentioned kind of finding the middle or, or being in uh-huh. the middle of the, con- the conversation. Uh-huh. Um, just looking at your website, I mean, I did one thing that jumped out to me unless I missed it. I mean, there is, I, I couldn't find any mention of what party you're affiliated with, uh-huh. lean left, lean right. I, I right. take it that because we live in this society, right, where if you say 
you're a Democrat or you say you're a Republican, you know, 75% right. of the population has already decided whether you're right or wrong mm -hmm. before, yeah. before you say anything. Was right. that, I, I take it that was kind of by design in, in, in well, uh, putting together? It is in a way, but the position is a nonpartisan position, as are the eight city councilors that serve the city. So leading with that, it's rare that a candidate seeking this position or a council position will state up front who, what their party affiliation is. When asked, I tell people that the two candidates that are running, myself included, we're both Democrats, but I'm uh, fiscally a little bit more careful. Um, than my uh, my opponent. My opponent is with the progressive end of the Democratic Party. And um, so just a different take that way, um, having served on the budget committee and having, you know, run our rotary committee and our rotary club, you just I probably make decisions always asking, have we done a cost benefit? What's the return on the investment? Um, rather than deciding with just with my heart. But we're both registered D's. I'm just a little bit more fiscally uh, careful, conservative. Got it. And you touched on, um, obviously, I, you know, just some of the kind of pillars of your campaign that I'd like to go over from sure. your website. I mean, you, mm -hmm. you, uh, you, you work in, in planning currently. Mm -hmm. um, one, of, one of the issues you bring up, and it's not certainly just an issue, in Salem, um, it's mm -hmm. an issue na nationwide, is affordable housing. Um, right. Now, we, we hear so much about, and I see it, I, I invest in property in Salem. Um, there's, mm -hmm. a, there, there's, a, there's a lack of supply, which in turn is kind mm -hmm. of leading to a lack of affordable housing. I mean, what is, we hear so much, it's, it's hard to, there's a lot of red tape around trying to develop or trying to build uh, mm -hmm. new properties. I mean, what do you think? I know it's a complicated issue, but mm -hmm. what is your plan to address this? Right. So I think the city is starting to move in the right way. And my plan would be to encourage continuing these conversations, maybe even a little bit more aggressively. So what we hear when I'm on planning commission, the cases that come in front of us are those that don't meet code. So they need a, you know, adjustment to their setbacks or their driveway approach needs to be different. But what we're hearing from them are pretty consistent messages messages that we're running out of buildable residential and multifamily land. So what kind of code changes can we make to allow for more flexibility? So I'll give you an example because you, you know where Center Street is. And for those of you who don't know, it's one of our major east-west corridors um, in the city. So we are rezoning most of that, those lots that are typically public health because that's where the state hospital was on the on one side of it. We're rezoning that to mixed use zones and some of it pretty intense because the thinking is if we can build more up and and build more, you know, densely on major corridors where our chariots, our bus system does go, then that allows for more housing opportunities. So that's that's one example. Um, we have a, this is really kind of it seems odd, but we have eliminated on those major corridors where the buses go, we've eliminated mandatory parking in new developments, in new apartment complexes. And, but that doesn't preclude a developer from saying, hey, you know, the market's demanding that I provide this parking. You sure, the developer can then for sure go ahead and use the land that way. But if you're building multifamily housing, there are some uh, families and individuals that don't want that higher cost for that apartment 
that reflects the cost of the parking because they bike or they take a bus or, you know, there are various reasons. So we've eliminated that from um, the code. So it's no longer required. So there are lots of examples of that where we're trying to smartly use more densely the land that we've got left that we can build on. And from, for our understanding, I mean, I, I, I read stuff about, you know, the, the way the land is, uh, um, coded mm-hmm. what i mean is that a matter of just someone 50 or 100 or whenever years ago just decided that this is what this land is for and this mm-hmm. is what it's allowed to be used for mm-hmm. well i you'll i think you'll probably remember back um i think it was I'm trying to remember who was governor uh, senate bill 100 on how we develop land and so cities are charged especially if they're over a certain population of ensuring that within their urban growth boundary that they have an adequate supply of land to meet the housing needs for the next 20 years, I think is the number. So that's our city's responsibility. Um, but it, so they zone it the way they, they think it should be. But, you know, even 10 years ago, the concept of multi-use, you know, retail on the bottom, residential on the top, just wasn't much of a conversation. Now it's a mm-hmm. huge conversation. So w- the city staff and planning commission and city councilors listen to enough input that if they see a trend and what needs to change, then we change. So still doing it responsibly, but that's just, you know, one example. But yes, somebody back in the day zoned the properties the way they thought they should be. Um but, you know, business practices change. And, you know, a good example, if you remember Front Street, Matt, and for those of you that are listening that don't know it, it's the property, in, mostly industrial, right on our waterfront, right on Willamette. And it has always been industrial. Now we're rezoning that for mixed use. All the uses that are there can continue to do what they do. But our hope is that at some point we can develop that for, you know, mixed use, you know, retail apartments and kind of make that an exciting spot of Salem. And the, the obvious implication of, of building more housing is that the mm-hmm. people, so pe- people who already own property or multiple properties, their properties work more when there is less supply, right? Mm-hmm. So you build Correct. more. Mm-hmm. Is that is that the typical pushback that you get is from people that, that already own property and want no, property the, values high? Nope. The typical pushback we get are the people in Salem that don't want Salem to grow. So just the, you know, the parochial keep it the way it is. Um, but it, the fact of the matter is that we're going to grow by 60,000 people by 2035. That's 14 years away. So, and it is the city's responsibility to have that house, those housing needs somewhat addressed so that individuals can live here. Um, It's reflective, that paradigm is also reflective in the group of Salem folks who don't want a third bridge, for example. Um, There was a real big pushback on building that third bridge, and it's been since 1954 since we've had a bridge built. Yeah, I. Uh, it's this sounds very uh, similar to the conversation I had Brent DeHart from the airport on uh-huh. a, couple, a couple months ago, and that's there is there is definitely some sense of there, there. There's people that want Salem to stay the same. I try not to give my opinions too much on this podcast, but right. I always feel like if you want a smaller town, it's mm-hmm. it's out there, and right. you know exactly. it's growing. You don't have to go far, and mm-hmm. if Salem's growing, I think the community needs to uh, 
and politicians need to move to uh, to accommodate that. Right. Yeah. So it's done smartly. I agree. Moving on to kind of another one of your your pillars mm-hmm. of your campaign um, that we hear a lot about in the Salem area um, is is the the issue with with homelessness. Right. Um, right. You know, we see a lot. Of, I don't want to speak. I'm not overly educated on the topic, so I don't mm-hmm. want to speak out of turn. But we do hear a lot <clears throat> in both Salem and Portland, mm-hmm. where it's kind of a case of there's camps set up, people get moved from camp to camp, location mm-hmm. to location, and it's sort of a feel. It feels like a band aid on the problem. Right. What is your plan to uh, to address homelessness in the Salem area? Right. So that's a, a great question. It is a very complicated question because we have t- different types of a homeless person. They're not all the same. They don't have the same needs. They don't have the same desires to move to a healthier lifestyle, for example. Um, we are challenged, and so is Portland, um, by a Ninth uh, Circuit Court ruling. And the Ninth Circuit Court is Washington, Oregon, California, Idaho. And the ruling, the interpretation is that even though Salem has a sit-lie ordinance on the books, which means you can't hang out in front of Rite Aid and spend the night there, we are not able to enforce it unless we have available beds. And it can't be just an available bed like at the Union Gospel Mission, because they do have some beds available. It has to be a low barrier bed, and that's defined by an activity an individual can be using drugs or have alcohol, just not on the on the premise of the low barrier bed, but they can be using. So the only options we have currently are the micro shelters, and we have two sites for that. Those are sh- turning to be very effective. I mean, they're, they have it, it's only been a year, so it's, we don't have a lot of data yet collected on that. But Another step we're moving forward with is the Navigation Center. So when that is brought up, that's going to be off of a Mission Highway 22. Um, That will be low barrier shelter also and the wraparound services. And that's what we need. We can't just shelter and feed. We have to shelter and provide the type of individualized programming and treatment that that individual needs to to move on to a higher barrier bed like UGM or, you know, there's some, it's, and then the really difficult population that I'm sure your folks have talked about are those that are mentally ill and have a a drinking or a drug issue. So they have a co-occurring disorder. Some of those individuals are going to be challenged to to ever be successful in independent living. So for that population, we have to look at um, permanent supportive housing or PSH, I think is the buzz abbreviation, um, where they have for the long-term wraparound services and treatment. So it's just a huge, it's a juggernaut, I tell you. Yeah, incredibly complex issue. And this <clears throat> this is kind of an anecdotal observation that I've seen just living uh, here in New York City where I live, um, mm-hmm. is they have a program where they, they do what you're describing as far as sheltering people. But there's also programs where the city hires uh, homeless people to do different jobs. And mm-hmm. kind of the idea is they put them on a pathway to ultimately, you know, they start off, they're kind of temporary jobs, but ultimately moving them toward a career either right. with the city or elsewhere. Is there mm-hmm. anything like that in Salem mm-hmm. right now, or, or yeah. is that something you would look at? Right. There are two levels of that. So for the micro shelters at the low barrier, they do have responsibilities in those managed 24-7, 24-hour managed 
camps. So they have some level of responsibility, not necessarily a job. At the Union Gospel Mission, which is kind of the next step up, more medium barrier housing, they do have programming. And as an individual goes through that, they actually they're ultimately able to have their community college paid for. Um, and then there's job training. So it's a great uh, way to transition into an independent lifestyle. And it works for some people, doesn't work for everybody. Yeah, there's certainly uh, certainly no one size fits all. Like you said, it's mm -mm. Very, uh, extremely, extremely complicated issue. Right. Um, so moving along, I want to talk about you mentioned um, the climate problem on yeah. your or the uh, on your um, website. Uh -huh. um, obviously, being a, a local politician and, and representing Salem, Oregon, we're not going to be able to lower the global CO2 levels or anything mm -hmm. like that um, mm -hmm. in, any mean, in any meaningful capacity. So when you're talking about the climate issue, you know, mm -hmm. in, a, in a, a single medium-sized town like Salem, what exactly can people do? Okay. So we're just finishing up. In fact, it's going to go in front of city council shortly, the climate action plan. So I was on that task force with quite a few other individuals and ultimately, what the does the plan is is it, it's kind of staged in different uh, levels. So, you know, easy to achieve, harder to achieve, more of a long-term strategy. Um, some of this, most of the plan is incentive-based, like and education-based. So, and and an example of one of the um, actions is that the city fleet because their vehicles turn over every, you know, periodically they get new vehicles, that when they do, that they will be buying uh, electric vehicles. And so that's a mandate. That's, that's not an incentive. That's going to happen. Um, another mandate, because uh, there are not many of them in the plan, is that all new construction would have um, electric charging stations built in. So it's, you know, it's ready. Um, so there are other items like that. Um, the probably the most contentious conversation in that plan, and I don't know that it's going to be rolled into the recommendation of city council, is the total ban of natural gas. And the problem, I mean, although it sounds great, the problem with that is there were not a lot of conversations with heavy industry in Salem about the impacts to their their work. You know, how would they do that? The other issue that I had is that in unintended consequence be, would be that if you had that ban, most of our lower income families on the nor on the east side of Salem, northeast side of Salem, they rely on natural gas because it is the, the cheapest way of heating their home. So you're going to tell, you're basically going to impact them in a negative way if you say you cannot, you've got to retrofit your house. And I'm sure there would be federal dollars to do the retrofit, but now you've got to pay for a more expensive source of heating electric. So there were things that I don't think were, although it sounds great and I would, you know, ideally I would love to see that happen. I just don't know how practical that is. Yeah, there's so many things we see with the green initiatives. I mean, mm -hmm. for the one that everyone sees right now at the gas pump, certainly, right. mm -hmm. um, the, where it's such a balance between taking care of our environment, but also not, and then the people, like you said, that are the most heavily impacted right. uh, by this stuff are the, are the lower income mm -hmm. populations. So it's such a balance you have to find on that. Yeah, definitely. But we're working on it. Yeah. So um, I'll touch on one more with you. So 
transportation. I know <laughs> the one everybody thinks of that's been talked about for I don't know how many years is adding an additional bridge uh, mm -hmm. to West Salem. Is there anything else as far as transportation goes that we uh, we should cover? Well, I, you know, I'm just hoping that our city leaders uh, are seeking every bit of federal funds that we can use for infrastructure repair because we've got, you know, small bridges in town, roadways that need repair. We are working on the the one bridge over the river um, we've, with dollars that we've received, but there are other needs, sidewalk needs, bike lane repair. Um, we do have a bond measure coming up in the fall that is a really kind of a catch-all for a lot of things, primarily um, new equipment for the fire department and a few, I think four new stations are part of that proposal, fire stations. Uh, and that's the most critical part of it, but there are some infrastructure requests in that for bike lanes. Um, and that's why I tied that in there. But for me, you know, I, I would support that bond measure primarily because of the public safety needs of our community. Fantastic. Well, thanks for covering all of those uh, kind of different aspects of your you platform platform with us. If it's okay with you, um, I'd like to do a quick kind of rapid fire round about more about you personally than about sure. your mayoral candidacy before we get you out of here. Sounds great. All right, Jane. Well, what are some of when you're not working on all these different uh, committees and boards and running for mayor? What are some of your hobbies aside from that? race walking. I used to be a runner, but now I have a new knee. So I'm a race walker. So I race walk marathons and half marathons. And uh, I love to knit. And I am a horrible golfer, but I consider it a good walk in a park. And we have two of our 12 grandchildren in town. So I spend quite a bit of time, you know, playing with them. Nice. Where do you like to golf at in Salem? Usually Illahi, although I'll golf everywhere of Salem. Cross Creek. Yeah. I'm not picky. Got it. And all right, next one. What is your favorite Salem restaurant? Cozy Taberna. I don't I know that one. It's new. Oh my gosh. Okay. It's right next to my very favorite flower place on the alley um, between Court and Chemeketa. There's an alley downtown and there's a wonderful flower shop called Flowers on the Alley. And Clayton is the owner and incredible flowers. And then right next to that is Cozy Taberna. And it just opened up probably a month ago. Wonderful tapas, fabulous bar, ambiances. Awesome. You have to check it out. I will absolutely go there next time I'm in town. Yeah, tell them I said hi. I will. Okay. Favorite, and this can be this can be exotic or it can be super local, doesn't matter. What's your favorite travel destination you've been to? Croatia. Oh, where? What part? Uh, we were on the coast. We. This is hilarious because I sort of cycle, but not like your dad. Um, I do enjoy biking. So Jim, when we travel, we try to incorporate a bike trip. So Jim told me, he says, we're going to go to Croatia. How, what do you think about that? And I said, well, that sounds great. And he says, yeah, it's on the beach and you're going to love it. Well, let me tell you, it was the hardest bike ride I have ever done because although you're at sea level, when you start, you climb. <laughs> <laughs> way up high but the food was great somebody told me that oh lulu truitt mentioned she goes it reminds me of what italy was like before it became the tourist destination so really affordable wonderful food did you go so i i, I was there i only went to dubrovnik were you there at all no we were not in dubrovnik and, I've, and we started in split okay 
and then cycled from there. Mm -hmm. I would get an electric bike. In fact, I was the only woman in the group that wasn't smart enough to get the electric bike. Yeah. yeah, I've I've heard those are uh, are quite the game changer. I should probably get one. You mentioned my dad biking. Yeah. I, uh, if you want to be humbled, uh, go ride bikes with your dad, who's twice your age, and have him yeah. kick your kick your butt because that's what <laughs> happened to me. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> All right, La last one. Uh, best uh -huh. thing that you have read, watched, or listened to recently? Oh. There are a lot. The Great Migration, I really enjoyed. And I don't ask me the author again, because I'll totally forget. That's probably my most favorite recent book. Um, and then Four Winds, about, you know, the Dust Bowl, Oklahoma to California migration. That was very good, too. So probably, I would say Four Winds. Oh, Kristen Hanna is the author of that one. Got it. I'll check that one out. Mm-hmm. And okay, so before we let you go here, um, first, when, when is is the election in November? Just like the, most well, elections. Well, the primary is May seventeenth, and oh. so this race, since there are only two candidates, will be decided, and it's a nonpartisan race, will be decided in May. Um, I mean, we won't have to go to to November. So forty three days left. Is I'm not that I'm counting, but there are forty three days until I know one way or the other. But I'm right. walking a lot, and hopefully, it's a good outcome. Absolutely. And uh, in those 43 days, aside from going out and voting for you, um, mm -hmm. is there any any other way people can help support your campaign? Yes, they can come walk with me where I'm walking neighborhoods and you don't have to even be smart on my position because all you have to do is knock and give a person a piece of paper that has my positions on it. I need walkers like nobody's business would love that. There you have it. All right. And before we let you go, um, as always with all the guests that I have on the show, um, mm -hmm. are there any uh, final shout outs either to, it can be people, causes, anything you'd like to uh, mm -hmm. say before we hop off the floor is yours. I would like to shout out to all of the nonprofits in our community that are partnering with us on the homeless issue, on the livability of Salem. Our community couldn't do and be what we are unless we have their support and they're just rock stars love it well Shane, absolute privilege having you on as i said i know you're incredibly busy with only 43 days to the election <laughs> so th th thank you so much again for coming on you bet matt thanks for having me take care have a good one okay, bye. Bye. thank you once again for listening to the sauce town stories podcast um, if you could, and if you'd like to help us out, uh, simply go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts at, uh, go to the search bar, type in Sauce Town Stories. It'll be the first one that comes up uh, with the Salem Gold Man as the picture. Um, hit subscribe, most importantly, just subscribe. Or if you want to write us a review or give us five stars or give us one star if you didn't like it. Uh, appreciate the honesty, but uh, if you could at the very least subscribe, that would be greatly appreciated. Thank you. Mm -hmm.